Well, again, greetings, and thank you, Greg and Stephanie, for reading the scripture, Brian and Deanne, for your technical work here, and for you who are joining us in this live stream. You know, uh, not just the fact that it's snowing outside, at least where I live, uh, these days can feel strange, and this Easter feels even stranger, but I was thinking about how the last few weeks have blurred together. I don't know if you felt that way, but a friend of mine posted a meme that I think sums it up. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday can actually just feel like day, 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 over and over. The, fir- the one before it, just like the one after it, and the next one. And I don't know if you've thought about or noticed how many times you've said or heard someone say, what day is it? But like I said at the beginning of the service, this Easter is probably more like the first Easter than any other we've experienced. And to fully enter that experience, I think we have to ask the same question. What day is it? Now, you might be thinking, why does it matter what day it is, Pastor Rob? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible was first passed down orally, and it was shared story by story. And these stories had overlapping themes. Now, maybe it was because these themes helped us remember the stories more precisely, or maybe it was because this God who is bigger than us, so much bigger than us, whose ways are so much higher than ours, that he worked in these parallel ways so that we could understand and relate to him. Like in Luke 24.1, it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, in some translations it says, while it was still dark, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. See, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all give resurrection accounts. Not every detail of Jesus' story is told in the same way by each of these four writers, but they all include that it was still dark on the first day of the week and the women went to the tomb. They saw the grave and they left puzzled and uncertain. See, these writings, these words give us clues to what day it is. There's darkness, there's uncertainty, and it's the first day of the week. See, according to God's word, it's day one, and darkness and uncertainty always fill day one moments. But so does God. Take, for example, the first first day. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over those waters. And then God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and he called the darkness night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. See, Genesis 1 tells us that the earth is covered in this darkness. It's formless and empty and chaotic and primal, and yet God is there. The Spirit of God is always hovering over what is deep and what is dark. And just like the first, first day, God is the one who calls the light out of that darkness. He did it on the first, first day, and he does it on the first Easter. 
See, in the midst of COVID-19 and this pandemic and this weird Easter, there is darkness and there is certainty and the Spirit of God is still present with us. His hope is here. His light is coming out of the darkness. And we see that in the story. The angels come and speak to the women in the darkness of that first day. And they showed them the light that Jesus had risen. And yet, they change what day it is. In Luke 24, it continues, while they were still wondering about this, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. There's the light and the dark. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now, I'm not trying to start an argument or cast suspicion on the story, on whether it was Jesus rising on the first day or the third day or some other day. I'm simply saying it because the angel said it and because it's the second clue to what day it is. According to God's messengers, it's the third day. And if you look all the way through the Bible, you'll see that resurrection always happens on the third day. And to experience resurrection like I believe God wants us to this Easter, we have to walk into these day three moments. Consider that Jesus was crucified on a Friday and he was raised to life on Sunday, the third day. Jonah was in the belly of a whale and he was spit up on the third day and he went into the mission God had for him. Abraham offered his son to God on the altar on the third day of his journey and got him back. And Queen Esther called for a fast and then went before the king after three days, risking her life to save her people. See, these are all these day three moments, but please hear this, friends. The real hope and truth of Easter is not that we have to search for the clues and muster the courage to enter the day one moments or the day three moments. It's that Jesus loves you and looks for you even when you have been running the other way. Consider this guy in the Bible named Saul. He's in the book of Acts. And Saul loved God, but he actually despised Jesus. Saul was a Jew. He was a very obedient and law-abiding Jew. And Saul was one of these guys that excelled in school. He got straight A's, or I'm assuming he did. And he knew all that you could know. He was the best of the best in the religious circles. He was the up-and-coming leader that you desperately wanted to please, and yet you utterly feared. You know someone like that? Saul was known for hunting down, arresting, and even killing people that believed in Jesus. He shows up earlier in the story of Acts, involved in the killing of a man named Stephen. Stephen was a new follower of Jesus. He was a man full of God's grace and power. He did miraculous wonders and signs among the people, and he was falsely accused and put on trial. Sounds like Jesus. And Stephen defended himself and used the scriptures 
against the religious leaders and then confronted them about rejecting Jesus and then even accused them of killing Jesus, which they did not appreciate. Hashtag understatement of the year. And so they ordered Stephen to be stoned. This is another ancient execution method. It's not the same as crucifixion, but it involved dragging an accused person outside a city, throwing them in a pit, and then hurling down heavy rocks on the person until they were eventually crushed to death. Pretty gruesome. It was the victims would hope to be hit in the head early so they could be knocked unconscious and not feel it, but that usually didn't happen. Maybe it's because the men who did it like to prolong the agony, but can you imagine the person that would actually want to do this? It was hot and hard work to lift up those small boulders, hurl them down on the person, so the people that would do this would have to take off their outer coats because they would get so warm, and Saul was the guy holding all those coats. Saul approved of the killing of Stephen And I have to wonder, in the days after, as Saul is saying his prayers to God and he's drifting off off to sleep, I wonder if he hears the cries of Stephen. The cries that Stephen cried to God to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. If he did have those thoughts, I think he pushed them aside because he just believed that those who fail to keep the faith must fall and pray and pay, excuse me. And then it was, Steve, it was Saul who fell. See, Saul received these orders from the high priest to travel to the city called Damascus, the city that's still around today, and to arrest any followers of Jesus. And so I imagine he set out early and he hoped to have God's favor, to find the rebels quickly, to drag them back to Jerusalem. And so he went off. And the Bible says in Acts 9 that he set off and he got to the outskirts of Damascus and then he suddenly was dazed by this flash of light and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? So you have to picture this proud man knocked on the ground, now dirt smeared all over his religious uniform, his hands scraped and bleeding from the rocks and the gravel. And the man with all the answers is suddenly silent until he slices through the air with a question. Who are you, Lord? And he sees nothing, but he hears the voice again. I am Jesus, the one you are hunting down. And I want you to get up and enter the city, and in the city you'll be told what to do next. And his companions stood there dumbstruck. They could see, they could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up the ground, was stone blind. There's darkness, there's light. There's a voice. Can you see that Saul is in a day one moment? He was in darkness. Literally, they had to take him by the hand and lead him to Damascus, where he ate and drank nothing for three days. Do you catch where he's at now? He's still blind, but he's unable to see that he's in his own tomb where resurrection is about to happen. His own Easter, his own day three 
moment. See, these are the moments that we don't want to miss. Now, hang with me through all of this day one and day three talk because it really isn't about Saul and it isn't about creation. It's about you and it's about me. It's about all of us. And it's about stepping into the life that God desires for every one of us. Because think about it. Aren't we all hunting Jesus down? Maybe in our own way, but sometimes it looks like religious people who work for God but are not living close to Jesus. Sometimes it looks like people who say their prayers at mealtimes and bedtimes, but they worry their days away as if there's not a God trusting in only what they can see and earn and produce. Other times it looks like grasping at anything that might fulfill your life, whether it's grasping for relationships or grasping for power or grasping for praise or grasping for intimacy with created things rather than the creator. But we're all hunting him down. And can we see on this Easter that it's the risen Jesus who finds us, who knocks us down and who gets our attention no matter who we are or how hard we've run away. See, not only does Jesus find us and knock us down and get our attention, but then he invites us to get off the sidelines and join in his restoration work. See, Saul's story isn't just an individual story. It's personal, don't get me wrong, but it's not individual. Saul's story wouldn't be his story without a guy named Ananias. Now, Ananias is just a guy who loves God and loves Jesus. He's also a guy who's heard about Stephen and how he was stoned and how Saul was coming to his town to arrest any followers of Jesus. And so Ananias is shaking in his boots. But Jesus found Ananias too. He got Ananias' attention through a vision of Saul, of Ananias being the one to find Saul and restore his sight. Ananias has this conversation with Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Wait, you want me to go and talk to the man who is known for killing followers of Jesus? But Jesus responds to Ananias. No, go. Go to Judas' house over on Straight Street. I'm assuming Ananias knows where that is. And ask to speak to Saul from Tarsus. He is praying even now to me. And I've given him a vision of you, Ananias. Not Isaac, not Joseph, not Bob. You. You are the one to go to him. To restore his sight. Because I've chosen him to bring my name to kings and commoners and even the people of Israel because I want all people to know me and be restored in relationship to me. See, if you want this Easter to actually be a new Easter, not just another Easter, but a new Easter, then you need to accept that the resurrection isn't just about receiving Jesus' words, it's living them and sharing them. See, Ananias did go to Saul and he lifted up a shaking hand and he placed it over the eyes that saw Stephen get stoned. And he said, Brother Saul, 
the master Jesus sent me, the same Jesus you saw on your way here, he sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And no sooner had the words come out of his mouth and something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and onto his feet and he was baptized and he sat down with them to a hearty meal. See, sometimes these baptisms are big public displays of faith and other times they're like this. In a home with a handful of believers present celebrating what Jesus still does in people's lives. Isabel is this young lady in our church, and she came to faith in Christ and wanted to be baptized. So rather than have this big baptism service, uh, we were invited into a home where 20 or 30 of us packed in and listened to her testimony. And then we cheered her on as she plunged under the water and came up with tears and laughter and full of emotion and embraces from this new family. And I imagine those same emotions were present as Saul told off. And whether it was just minutes later or hours later, he found himself eating a meal with the men that he had come to arrest. Think about that. Three days later, He's a completely different person. Whatever direction that Saul was running as he went into that city, three days later, he abandoned it forever. This was Saul's Easter. This is his day three. This is his new beginning. And Saul would later change his name to Paul, and he would go on to write more than half the New Testament and start more churches than you and I probably have even attended. Think about it. It's almost absurd that a man who threatened the lives of those who follow Jesus would become their brother and part of their family. Or that someone who'd been blind to the life and love of Jesus for their whole lives can finally see. But it's stories like Saul's. It's baptisms like Isabel's. It's even my own story that remind me that resurrection still happens, that day three moments still happen, that new beginnings are always possible. See, if Jesus can stop Saul dead in his tracks on a road and transform his life, then he can do the same for you and for me. Because see, I think sometimes we come to Easter And we remember the empty cross and we stare into the empty tomb, but we can walk away as if it's just another Easter, wondering if it can really be true for our lives. But again, the real hope and truth of Easter is not that we find or even create these new beginnings. It's the real hope and truth of Easter that the God who called light out of darkness, the one who offers his one and only and beloved son to bear the weight for our sin, for all of us, he's the one who raises life even from death. The one who chases us down and knocks us off our high horse and takes us by the hand into those new beginnings. Maybe today you need to admit that you're like Saul, that you love God, but you actually despise Jesus. You know the right answers, you like being in control, 
But deep down, you really do love and long to have a loving and close relationship with God, but you're just not sure how to get it. Jesus makes a way for you to do that. I didn't think that I loved God and despised Jesus, but in April of my freshman year of college, I was on a three-day retreat. And I heard someone say that if I believed that Jesus was Lord, then I couldn't say no to him. And in that moment, I realized that I wanted Jesus to save me, but I wanted to do whatever I wanted. That he really wasn't Lord. And that was the moment of my first day three. It was a new beginning for me. Can you believe today that new beginnings are possible? That whatever you've been through in your life, whatever your struggles are, whatever you've done, that Jesus can change your life, that new beginnings can happen. See, Saul, who became Paul, wrote, like we heard in the first scripture, that I passed on to you what was most important and what was passed on to me. Christ died for our sin, just as the scriptures say. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And he was seen by Peter and the twelve and seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and the apostles. And then he went up to heaven. He ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came down. Pentecost happened. The disciples gathered. 3,000 came to know him. 5,000 came to know him. Persecution started. Stephen was stoned. Widespread persecution started. And then, last of all, as though I was born at the wrong time, Paul says, Jesus appeared to me. See, no matter how messy your life looks, no matter how far from Jesus you feel, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. And your past mistakes and your current reality do not keep the risen Lord from appearing to you. See, I believe that these day three moments still happen. I believe that new beginnings are possible and I believe that God wants to appear to you even today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Lord Jesus, this Easter, we celebrate that you rose from the grave, that you conquered death and that you are alive today. But I pray, God, that this wouldn't just be another Easter, that it would be a new Easter, that resurrection would assure us that no matter where we are, what mistakes we've made or the situations we're in, that you are with us, that you can redeem, that there's nothing that you can't conquer and there's nothing that you can't heal. And there's no darkness or uncertainty that can stand against the power of the risen Jesus who conquered death. God, we pray for those who are affected right now for COVID-19. We pray for those that are in nursing homes and hospitals that are on their deathbed. God, we pray that life would come back. We pray for the workers that are surrounding them and working to find a vaccine. God, this is a serious pandemic in our world, and yet we know that you are bigger than this pandemic. We know that you bring life out of death, that you will bring us through this, and we stand today 
knowing that nothing can separate us from your love, that no mistake can disqualify us. And God, I ask that today you would remind us who you call us to be, that we would feel your love today, that you would appear to those that are questioning you, that we would trust you with our whole lives, that Easter would be a new Easter, that resurrection would still happen, that new beginnings could still be possible. God, thank you for making a way, for taking us from our sin and our shame and restoring us with you. I I finally understand even a little more clear in this midst of social distancing. God, when the women finally saw you, when you appeared to them, they clung to you. They didn't want you to go. And yet you say, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to my Father because you knew that when you ascended that you would send the Holy Spirit, that you would be with us through the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, to show us resurrection today. Show us what needs to die in us and show us what needs to be raised up in us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.